Good evening, and welcome back to another episode of Friday Night Fireside Chats. I'm your host, Roy. If you are new to the podcast, Friday Night Fireside Chats is a time to slow down, relax from a busy work week, and enter into a time of reflection. And the topics of this podcast are usually focused around self-inquiry and self-understanding. And for tonight's topic, I will be talking about initiation and rites of passage. Now this topic um, is closely related to the work that I do. So if you've visited my website, which is www.sacredwildman.com, you will get an idea of what I do. But in short, my work uh, as a therapist is focused around helping men reclaim their masculinity. And this this specialty um, and focus that I have is very much closely related to my own personal journey of reclaiming my own masculinity. And that has been a wild journey and certainly one that I would not trade. I'm just thinking about where I am now, how I experience myself now to even just five years ago. It's it's pretty close to looking at two very different people almost. And certainly to some people that I was in community with at the time. Um, people were certainly aware of those changes. And um, I think for some people it was very, I don't know if shocking is what they would say, but it was definitely noticeable. And I very much would say that that change has much to do with my own journey of initiation and rites of passage in all the different ways that it took place. Now, this topic will, I'll mostly be speaking about it in regards to men since that's the focus of my work. However, I think much of what I say also can apply to women um, and in terms of women's rites of passage and initiation, the passage from a young girl to a grown woman. And so speaking about men, I will be sharing about some of my own journey um, but this initiation from boyhood into manhood and from boy psychology into man psychology and those two terms of boy psychology and man psychology come from the book King, Warrior, Magician, Lover it's written by Robert Moore and uh, Douglas Gillette and I would highly recommend that book to any men who are listening, young men um, who are interested in this topic of initiation. If, if there's something there that just calls out to you, um, I had re- highly recommend checking that book out. So initiation and rites of passage, how, how I see those terms uh, really it just speaks to the journey of I guess maturation and becoming uh, in other ways it's an unfolding so it's probably unfolding and becoming and there's there's a transition process from 
what you could call the old guard into the new guard. Other ways in which it can be spoken about is the hero's journey and that um, that would be in Joseph Campbell's realm of expertise. Uh, I think he was the one who coined that term but basically the hero's journey speaks about this psych um, this process where a person experiences some sort of you know issue in their life that causes them to reevaluate some things uh, and that brings them into an entry of a whole different territory a whole new terrain in their life that is um, a departure from what's familiar and in that journey there's a meeting of allies you know a helper or a guide there's a process of death where you go into this underworld and you experience the trials and then there's the return where you go back to perhaps a community of people you came from and you bring back the knowledge and experience that you gain from that and uh I would say for both, so the hero's journey and initiation, there's there's a process of dying. And it seems to me that pretty much all cultures across the world have, have some what's the word some I guess spirituality or some conceptual framework uh, attached to death and that it's not seen as a scary or a bad thing but it's actually seen in a very wholesome light where death is simply a transition to what is next and a necessity um, a necessary part of life that you know life and death are two sides of the same coin whereas my impression here in the west is that we do our very best to avoid it it's not something we're of encouraged to think about until we're in old age and decrepit and on the way to death's doors do we begin even talking about it and even now I think in the modern 21st century it it's even more so avoided just just thinking about the response of people to the pandemic Yes, it's understandable that the fear people have. Um, but it really strikes me that there's there is such a huge reaction of fear. And certainly I ascribe a lot of that to the media. Um, the media's portrayal of all of this played a big part in that but this huge and intense reaction of fear to me what I was seeing was that people began to behave in a way where this seemed like the worst thing possible and that they were or are willing to To sacrifice some things in order to extend their life perhaps by another minute by another hour another day another week another month or another year and yet that comes with a price a price of misery a price of living in fear and anxiety a price of living a small fearful life 
And what struck me was even hearing from some of the elderly and how they were treated in all of this. Some had shared that they would rather die and be with their families than to be isolated off, not able to see any of their family or just having to see their family through a glass partition that they would rather die and be with family than to live a so-called safe life and not get sick. And so perhaps the elderly, those who voiced that experience, have more wisdom about all of this than many of those who are younger and still have more life to live. Um, That those who are closest to death's doors have greater insight into what it means to live than those who are younger. And even even speaking that out loud right now, it strikes me as really profound. And to think about how that wisdom has also become something that we've here in the West really become divorced from in terms of how how we respect the elderly, what kind of regard we hold them in. I think nowadays there's more of a sense of obligation and inconvenience. And, you know, let's just throw them in some nursing homes and have somebody else take care of them and we're just kind of waiting until they bite the dust. It's just my own personal sense of it. Uh, Certainly it's not a one-size-fits-all and I'm not saying it applies to everyone, but as a whole and a collective in the West, that's the impression that I get. So the The aspect of death is something that is deeply feared in the West, it seems. And uh, due to that fear, I think that is what keeps so many of the people here in the West stuck in a very adolescent form or stage of psychology and so speaking just about men since again that's more the focus of my work in regards to death and what this pandemic has shown to me anyways most people are stuck in that boy psychology rather than men psychology And I don't know, you know, I I don't have a answer of how this came to be in the West, how Western culture seems to be more absent in terms of uh, a spiritual understanding and respect or value for death that other cultures have. But I think people are yearning for this rite of passage, this initiation. They're likely just not consciously aware of it. One example of how I see this taking place is the rise in interest among people in plant medicines, psychedelics, or the interest in people who go to the East. There's one thing that I notice 
is that in a lot of films, TV shows, or some some sort of media outlet, there's always this thing where some young person or whatever their age might be says, you know, I'm I'm gonna go to China to find myself, or you know, I'm gonna I'm gonna go to Thailand, India, Africa, somewhere that's not the West, in order to discover and find myself. And it's it's interesting because you don't ever hear anybody, at least I haven't, say, "Oh, I'm gonna go to the West to find myself." Um, usually going to the West is more associated with I have a dream of building a certain life and this is where I want to go because I've heard this is a land of opportunity so that's why I want to come here to try to build that dream so there's positives to both but this increase in interest in plant medicine psychedelics and going to going to the east, going to places such as Thailand uh, or India to you know, live a monastic life uh, studying at a temple, uh, rigorous meditation or uh, some sort of more esoteric spiritual practices. In all of that, it it strikes me as a seeking of this is rather ambiguous, but I think that's the best way to start first is to go to ambiguous and get more specific. But a seeking of something, something that they feel they clearly can't find in the West, in the life that they have been used to. And that's, that bears a pretty close resemblance to, you know, the, the hero's journey. There's, there's this call, there's this tug to something new, something different. And so in that journey to either a foreign land or a foreign state of consciousness, via plant medicine or psychedelic, there, there is a rites of passage that is being embarked upon. And along the way, there's certainly going to be a encounter with a sort of symbolic death. And speaking mainly of you know, plant medicines, psychedelics, or let's say rigorous meditation. One of the most common things that people hear or share is the experience of a ego death. And this is an experience where the ego or a person's sense of self is completely uh, obliterated essentially you know there's not a really light way to put it it's a pretty disruptive experience to have an ego death and it's it's a huge reset button it is if you've seen the movie the matrix it is the moment where Neo takes the red pill. And it's, it's not a pleasant experience. If you've watched the movie, you'll, you'll see that it, it's not a pleasant experience when he takes this red pill. And oftentimes people can, especially when they think about enlightenment, there's this however it got started, but this rosy image of, ah, yes, you know, I, 
I have seen and I have now ascended and I understand that often isn't the case. Um, it often is a lot more disruptive and can send a person into a state of psychosis. And that, that ego death is, to me, um, a, a death, simply put. Yeah, it's not a physical death. And the whole idea with initiation and rites of passage is that the idea is not about a physical death. A physical death is, at least in this incarnation of existence, more so a final stage, as you, if you will, a final stage for this incarnation uh, before a transition to the next. But everything kind of leading up to that, whenever that happens for each respective person, Everything leading up to that is perhaps one could call uh, preparation. And so it's, it's mainly these symbolic deaths, whether that's emotional, mental, spiritual um, form of death that leads to a great cracking open of something for a person. And therein is an opportunity for something new to be born. The classic example I think of is a caterpillar you know, spinning a cocoon and then dissolving into a primordial soup within that cocoon. And that dissolving is that ego death. I've known my life as a caterpillar. Now, what the hell is this thing that I'm doing right now? Um, oh, you know, I don't feel so good. What is this? I'm soup. And then suddenly perhaps there's a period of nothingness and then darkness, darkness and nothingness. And then from there emerges this new birth of this butterfly and a new consciousness of now I have wings and I can fly. That is, that is the journey and likely many, many journeys of that sort of ego death or symbolic death for us all to experience before that final physical death and transition. But when I hear people say that they're interested in doing plant medicine or psychedelics or rigorous meditation or living a monastic life. To me, I'm hearing that, that yearning for a rites of passage, an initiation, and a, a leaving everything they have known for the something that seems to tug at them. And to me, it makes sense that why it makes sense why that feeling is there. Because it's it's a deep part of. I think our, our history and the memory that is embedded within our very DNA and in our very bones. So an example of this. Talking about the transition from boy psychology to man psychology. There's a, I believe there's a tribe in Papua New Guinea, and this is where they talked about their initiation ritual for their boys when it's time for them to become men. And I can't recall what age they are. But it seems like when they're just adolescents, maybe 15 or 16, uh, that that's when it happens. So 
that's that's my recollection but don't quote me on it but essentially what they do in this initiation ritual is that that night um, the elders and the men the warriors uh, of the tribe they have um, they have these masks that they put on and in the darkness of night what they do is they go into the village they go into the village and they essentially kidnap the boys from their mothers and the mothers are in on it they are in on this whole thing and so they play their part and it's it's almost this great drama that they are performing that is part in this ritual and so the mothers cry and they plead and they beg you know don't don't take our boys from us no don't take our boys and crying and lamenting but the adult men of the village come and they take the boys away and they take them to some place you know uh that that is secret you know only the men and the boys can be here um this is where my recollection of it gets fuzzy but two pieces i'm uh thinking about is one is like there's a uh, throwing of them into the forest uh, it's like all right you know good luck fend for yourself tonight and hopefully we'll see you in the morning and if not you know well guess you guess you're dead and <laughs> it it sounds horrifying um i think to many people just listening from life as they've known it in the west uh, probably many would consider that some as uh, aspect of child abuse um, and a crime but that's what they do and there's another one where this is where I get lost like between if, it, if it's just that forest and fend for yourself that night or it's two combined um, but anyways the the other thing that I recall reading and hearing about is um, when the men kidnap the boys the men wear these masks and these masks carry um, a very sort of beastly demonic sort of uh, expression to you know, incite this sense of primal terror and the boys have to have to wrestle the men of the village and so there's like a circle of men and the boy in the middle of that circle has to wrestle each man and they they push him they they definitely push him but uh, there's also some level of give in it because if they really wanted to overpower the boy like no problem but there's some level of give and they they push that boy to the edge of um edge of his limits or the limits that he has conceived for himself because there's something beyond that you know that's where that this primal energy and beast within a person can actually arise when there's that level of pressure applied and so when the final man is being wrestled and finally is defeated or kind of allowed to be defeated by the boy he then takes his mask off and then puts it on the boy's face and the whole idea is that is the transition that is the initiation that is the initiation where the young boy psychology has died and he has now moved into the realm of men he has he is now that beast he is now that warrior he has conquered that demon and when i first read and heard that as much as i feel some degree of fear of like gosh that uh that would be so disorienting to experience as a 
adolescent boy, there's another part of me that is just deeply deeply invigorated and aroused by the notion of actually having that experience. Um, and the reason I say that is because in, in my waking reality and even in dreams, I have moments where I have faced and encountered and felt this primal part of me. That's the whole reason I named my website Sacred Wild Man, my business Sacred Wild Man, because there's something very sacred about this wild man archetype in each man. And that is, that's my own conviction. And it's something deep within our DNA. And it's something we've also become very divorced from and neutered in a way. In, in modern society. Some cultures still preserve it and honor it, but speaking just of the West, I think it's lost completely. And what is in place are more superficial rituals of initiation that don't provide any of that significance at all. So, for example, man turns 21 like hey you can drink you know pop pop's gonna get you a beer and uh or maybe it's like hey you go out with your buddies and then you just bar hop until you're shit-faced and your reward is hey you got to drink you're 21 and tomorrow you wake up hungover and there you go you're a man now like what what kind of significance does it actually offer a man? Personally, my opinion, not very much. It's a very shallow cultural sort of initiation tradition in my opinion. But again, cultures are different. So for people who enjoy that, you know, more power to you. Um, but to me, it, it does not tap into that... Uh, that primal part of men and that ancient DNA of what it means to transition from a boy to a man and the, the symbolic death that is part of that transition. And looking at the modern man, it's to me it's not hard to see the effects of that. You know, many of the clients that I've worked with um, there's a sense that they can't make things happen. Uh, there's a sense of incompetence or impotence. Uh, a very conditioned and civilized person. And not to say being civilized is wrong or bad, but it's very much this sense that you know, a, a man has been neutered that he, he doesn't have his strong masculine edge anymore, but is just this polite, docile, people-pleasing person. Um, or, on the flip side, you know, he's very uh, much a control freak and hot-tempered. You know, both sides of that uh, spectrum, just two sides of the same coin, both represent to me a boy psychology and an immature man like when I think of a mature man who has transitioned from boy psychology to man psychology who's undergone this uh, rites of passage and this death symbolic death uh, it's a man who has strong convictions is very solid and is neither hot-tempered nor a pushover and I'm sure many people have some image of who that man would be for them. So for me, I think of you know some examples. Denzel Washington, Bruce Lee, Malcolm X. Uh, just to name a few who stand out to me as these men who very much embody 
that man psychology, very self-assured, and also not wrapped up in a lot of ego either. Because again, that ego is what also dies in that transition. So, yeah, I, I think many men out there are hungry for that. And one of the ways in which I I first really began to come into touch with this, because for most of my life it was it was completely absent. I was very much that docile, polite, people pleasing person. And you know, it's no wonder to me now looking back why I also had a huge amount of self-hate and resentment because while part of me enjoyed being this nice guy who could be approved of by other people, albeit superficially, um, another part of me was deeply enraged with myself of why why are you doing this? Why, Why are you such a pushover? Why is it so necessary for you to please other people when you know that's not what you want to do? Like there's, you know, you actually want to say something straight. You want to say it direct. You want to, you don't want to beat around the bush about it. But I was always so terrified of doing that. Um, I speak more about this actually in a separate video if you're interested in more about, you know, uh, self-hate, resentment, its origins, where it comes from and ways to deal with it. Um, It's on my YouTube channel, which you can find through the link through my website, uh, www.sacredwildman.com. But um, as I became aware of this primal, violent part of me, like that's the beginning stages of reawakening this, this wild man archetype. You know, it's knocking on the door and dreams were often the first place where I encounter this part of me. There's always this sense of being, being chased by something. Um, and as I began to reconnect with this primal part of me while also being very afraid of it at the same time, um, that deeper part of me, you know, this ancient DNA collective memory uh, was very much pulling me towards towards paths to begin to uncover this energy. And so I worked with a woman. I worked with um, group settings where they utilized, um, I guess you could call it sort of like shamanic journey work type. Um, yeah, I, I guess just it would be called shamanic journey work. And it's uh, I guess I won't go into too much detail of explaining what it is. Um, it's I'm sure something you are able to look up if you're more interested in learning what it is. But it it was very powerful, and it put me in touch with parts of myself that I had long been repressing, and one of them was the this wild man and in some of the sessions you know with the woman that I worked with and also in the group setting uh, there there were times where I was, was screaming really loud and it wasn't you know screaming in agony but there it was this very guttural scream and this roar this very wild energy uh, Essentially, I was saying it it was sick and tired of sitting in the back seat, sick and tired of being forgotten, sick and tired of being told it was bad, 
and um, you know he he wanted center stage now he wasn't going to be ignored any longer and that was a that was a huge shift for me because again before I was just this nice people pleasing docile quiet guy um, and as uh, what's his name I think Robert Glover uh, who wrote the book No More Mr. Nice Guy uh, he has a part where he says that usually the nicer the guy the the darker <laughs> the darker he is the more he's actually hiding um, and just looking at myself I very much see the validity in that statement and so to finally unleash this wild part of me in a appropriate container because it's not like I'm you know having free reign to do whatever the hell that I want and harm other people but I was in this appropriate container where I was allowed to express myself through roaring yelling um, which also later led to a lot of crying um, and this just very like deep guttural infant cry uh, and so it is very profound to have this well of anger and this well of sadness come up and to me, I experienced that as a as a death, a symbolic death in, in my journey. And that's something that has happened many times, and I'm sure there will be other iterations of it. Maybe less extreme, who knows. Um, but it was a death because what had died was this part of me that was convinced I could only know myself in this way like I can only know myself and be the nice and docile people pleasing guy because I had convinced myself this this is the way to live this is the only way I can live um, any other way for me to live you know I'm going to be rejected and that's painful I don't like being rejected and so I gotta I, I gotta take the path of least resistance um, that I held held on to for so long, holding on for dear life, you know, like just this buoy in a wild ocean, um, a turbulent ocean. I was just clinging for life onto that buoy, and this um, this shamanic journey work was essentially me letting go of that buoy and falling into the ocean and facing that fear of like I'm gonna drown. Like, I'm, I'm going to die I, because I'm not holding on to that buoy anymore. But there's also another part of me that's like, I'm, I'm so sick and tired of holding on to this buoy. I know there's something else here. And I don't think I can keep it uh, repressed anymore. I don't think I can continue treating myself in such self-hateful ways anymore and so dying to that and reclaiming this wild man this sacred wild man and also this tender young child within me and integrating both of them it was like I became more whole a person and that was that was liberating very very liberating and since i went on that journey i've been more reassured in continuing on that journey on this journey of being able to embrace those moments of dying to oneself uh, letting go of this tight grip of the ego of i I only know myself in this way. I have to know myself in this way. I have to define my identity as this, 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 or this. And really letting things unfold more freely. And so 
I have, I guess, affirmations or just a simple change in my entire outlook where I, I welcome, you know, open-handed, open-handedly these opportunities to uh, step into rites of passage, step into initiation, um, step into death, symbolic death before the final physical death and the transition thereafter. Um, And the more that I do it, the, the more free I become. I think the, the wiser I become and the more peaceful I become. And there is then less concern of self-preservation. Less concern of all this anxiety around how to keep myself safe, how to never experience loss. Uh, because the change in outlook is that, you know, in a way, there, there isn't really so much this death of like, okay, this is a permanent end. But really, all of those collected experiences of ego deaths in this path of initiation and rites of passage have created the sense that, okay, well, death is actually just more, more of an unfolding. It's like I'm continuously peeling off layers of the onion. And so that doesn't mean I'm having this permanent end after each thing, but in fact, there's there's more that is unfolding and I'm getting closer to what is true and what is at the core. Um, and, it, and I think that's, I think that's something that people are seeking and that people also need um, in, in that it is a very deep embedded part within our DNA. And 2020 certainly has been a great example of that because in a way it, it was an uninvited experience to say the least. You know, nobody was saying, yes, bring on these events to challenge me. Um, you know, I'd say few people anticipated something like this, but with it, and the turbulence that it has brought, it has presented this opportunity to really go deep within oneself um, and really experience a existential crisis. Um, and perhaps maybe there's some part of this where it is a manifestation of a collective yearning for a initiation of sorts. And it just happened to manifest in this very dramatic way. But it is, it is up to each individual person to decide how they want to work with it. Um, but to those who, to those who feel the pull, who feel the tug, uh, and reconnecting with these very much ancient you know, rituals of initiation and rites of passage that are deeply important in one's growth and maturation, uh, I I give you all my best. Uh, I send you that love and energy to, and and courage to walk that path, whether that's starting with reading books, you know, which I recommend, King, Warrior, Magician, Lover, uh, 
Iron John by Robert Bly is another good one. So whether it's reading books or doing esoteric practices, uh, so like working with the shamanic practitioner who can lead you on that shamanic journey work, or perhaps you seek a medicine men and medicine women for plant ceremonies or psychedelics, or you choose to live a monastic life um, and do ritual, not ritual, but rigorous meditation, whatever it is, um, you know, your, your internal guidance system will point you in that direction. And if you choose to answer that, you know, answer that call, answer that tug within you, um, may you find all the peace, power, and wisdom that lies there for you. And with that, I will pause there for today's podcast. Thanks again for tuning in. If you would like to learn more, you can follow me at www.sacredwellman.com. I'll have my links there to other media uh, if you'd like to follow as well. And if you would like to donate to support my work, you'll also find a link on my homepage of my website where you can support me in that way if you would like. That's all for today, and I hope you have a great Friday evening.